Well, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Um, I, I want to thank too, so much over the last couple of weeks, Amy Tice and Miss Debbie Fink, who uh, did such a great, amazing job uh, bringing the word of God to us. And uh, it's just powerful, powerful messages, those. If you think back now, we, we kicked off this year with a series called One Degree Different. One degree different. We're looking at these ways that we can partner with the Holy Spirit uh, to make these little course corrections, these little daily course corrections in our life that have big effects. They result in big transformation down the road. Uh, by the way, how many of you have had some success with the 21-day pastor challenge, of the gratitude challenge we told you about three weeks ago? All right, we got some hands up there. All right, all right. Amen. Taking that time, we, we, we challenged you uh, three weeks ago now uh, to take some time every day to be mindful and think about what are those things that I'm thankful for and, and even writing them down, writing them down. Because gratitude, as we talked about back then, really is, it's the happiness hack. Gratitude, it all comes down to that. Um, and uh, so I, I hope for those of you who are, are engaging that, and some of you right now are going, oh yeah, I remember you said that. It's okay. You can start today. You can start right now. You can start for the next three weeks. Uh, but I hope that proves to be the beginning of a life-changing habit that enables you to experience the joy, the happiness that God really does want you to have. He means for you to have. Amen. Today, we're going to be looking for a few minutes at another tweak, another one-degree course correction that we can implement in our lives to become more the, the disciples that Jesus wants us to be. Uh, and we're, I'm excited because we're looking at one of my favorite scenes in the whole Bible, in the whole life of Jesus, one of my favorite scenes, it's, and it's one of the wildest, craziest, weirdest stories in the Gospels. I just love it. It's found in the book of Mark. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there to the chapter 5, Mark. Mark chapter 5. And uh, let me set the scene a little bit here. Jesus and his disciples are in a boat. They have spent several days, many days now, uh, preaching and doing miracles. All kinds of cool stuff's been happening. And Jesus is now crossing the Sea of Galilee there in Israel and crossing the Sea of Galilee in a boat. They're leaving the Jewish region, going to a, a region, uh, it says here, known as the, the Gerasenes. Some of your translations might say the Decapolis or the Ten Cities, that this region over here. This is a foreign region. He's crossing, he's not just kind of crossing to the other, other side of the lake here. This is a, this is like an archetypal crossing here. They're going to a whole different culture. This is a whole different world he's going to. This is even more, this would be more strange for them like than crossing the English Channel from England to France. We're going to a whole different place, people. These people aren't Jewish. They're not followers of Yahweh. Uh, they have a different culture. It's still controlled by the Roman Empire. This is all part of the Roman Empire. But it's very different. The Jewish people referred to going to the east side of that Sea of Galilee as the other side. And they didn't just mean geographically. It was the other. That was, those were unclean people over there. They did weird pagan stuff over there. It was dominated by evil gods. Um, in Jewish tradition, those were the people descended from all of the Canaanites that Joshua and the Israelites drove out of the promised land. And so they all kind of went over there. So that's kind of where, in, in their tradition, that's, where those, that's who those people were. So if you're a Jewish person reading this story for the first time back in the first century, you're reading the story and you're going, wait, 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 what? What? Jesus, this, this Jewish rabbi, is setting foot in a Gentile region. That would have been unheard of, unheard of. So let's, let's read on. Let's see what happens here. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man, so they crossed over, 
A man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs. Hello. Uh, by the way, over in Luke, it tells the, he tells the same story. He, and he mentions the fact that he's running at him naked. So there we go. This man living among the tombs, and no one was ever strong enough to restrain him, even with a chain. He had been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke the chains and smashed the leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. So Jesus and his disciples, they cross over to this foreign area, they're venturing way outside the Jewish comfort zone here. He's instantly met by the local welcome wagon. Naked, possessed guy. Ah, right? This is about as bizarre a welcome as you can get right here. If, you know, if you're the disciple, you're kind of pointing toward the boat going, I'm just going to, we, we go ahead and just push back off. Right? I'm going to go ahead and get it ready and undo the rope. But Jesus is here for a reason. He's come for a reason, and he's not leaving without what he came for. He's brought his disciples. I think of this, this is like one of those short-term missions trips. You know, you take the, we take the teenagers on every summer just to kind of freak them out and let them know, you know, what's going on in the outside world. Here, we're outside the Jewish zone. There's offensive cultural practices going on. We're going to see in a minute that these are pig farmers, which is like a big clue to the Jewish people. They'd be like, you don't have pigs in Israel. To this day, if you go to Israel, there are no pig farms. That's like non-kosher. So, so this is kind of, you know, we get these little signs here. The writer gives us these signals that we are outside of Kansas now. And so, and this man they come across, to say that he has issues is an understatement right? Oh man, he's naked. He lives in a cemetery. He's ostracized by his own community. Uh, he's out of his mind. We're told by the writer here that on top of whatever, you know, uh, psychological maladies he has, he is actually possessed with evil spirits. On paper, to me, uh, this looks like a person that we might think of as a lost cause. We might look at this and go, this is, a, this is just a lost cause. This guy just, you know what, we just need to make him as comfortable as possible. Keep him safely away from the rest of society. Because what good can he possibly ever do? What, you know, what joy could he possibly ever really experience? He's a lost cause. But aren't you grateful that we serve a God who is the God of lost causes? That God didn't look at you in whatever maladies that you had, whatever emotional turmoil you had, whatever it was, whatever scars, sexual, spiritual, whatever it was, scars that you may have had. God didn't look at you and go, nah, good luck with that. No, no, no. This is the Jesus who goes out of his way, who crosses over out of the familiar, out of the religiously safe and clean and organized, the comfortable in order to rescue us from what has bound us up. That is who our Jesus is that we serve. This is the God who always hears the cry of the oppressed all the way across the lake. He hears the cry. He hears the cry of the hopeless. He hears the cry of the homeless. How many of you this, maybe this past year, and I know some of you because I've talked to some of you, Maybe you have felt a little bit homeless in your soul this past year with all the wild and craziness going on. Some, maybe you've looked around at the state of things politically and medically and socially and religiously and all this kind of stuff, and you've, you don't recognize things around you anymore. You don't, maybe you don't recognize the people around you anymore. Maybe you're stuck at home, and you, so you literally feel homeless from your church and when you come here, you don't recognize things. Maybe you don't even recognize yourself right now. 
who you are, where you fit, where you belong. There's a lot of this feeling. First of all, let me just say this. First of all, you're not alone. If that's you and you're feeling that homelessness, that you're not alone. There's lots of others around you who are feeling the same way, even if they're not saying anything out loud. But more importantly, God has never abandoned you. He has never shunned you. This is the Jesus who says, you belong with me. You belong to me. You are mine. Whatever is happening with you, Jesus says, I will cross hell or high water to draw you towards me. That is the Jesus that we serve. And I believe that's for somebody here this morning. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And Jesus, in the love for this man, he commands this evil spirit to come out of him. It says, when he saw Jesus from far away, the man, he ran and knelt before him shouting, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, what we're going to find out is this actually isn't the man speaking here. This is the spirit speaking through. The demons, it's funny, they know instantly who Jesus is. They declare who he is, Jesus, son of the most high God. Everybody else in Israel is a little hazy on his identity. Like, who is this Messiah, right? The demons are crystal clear. Swear to God that you won't torture me. And then Jesus does something very interesting in this story. As far as I can tell, it's the only time I find that he does this. He may have done it, but this is the only time it's recorded that he does this. He asks the spirit, not the man, the spirit, his name. Jesus says, what is your name? And he responded, legion is my name because we are many. They pleaded, it says with Jesus, not to send them out of that region. A legion is a military term. It's a Roman term. It's a reference to a Roman fighting unit of about 5,000 men, uh, 5,000 soldiers. They're called legionnaires. Uh, that's where that term comes from. So not only is this man not alone, he has, there are 5,000 voices in his head pulling him in all these different directions. Imagine being tormented and, and pulled in 5,000 directions all at once. Some of you can say, I know a little bit of what that feels like. No wonder this guy is so conflicted, he's so tormented. Well, it gets weirder. A large herd of pigs, okay, there's our clue, we're not in Kansas, we're feeding on the hillside. Send us into the pigs, they begged. Let us go into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission. That was nice of Jesus. So the unclean spirits left the man and went into the pigs. Then the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. Okay. So the herdsmen, who, the, the, the pig herdsmen there who are now suddenly unemployed, uh, it says that they flee the scene. They run back to town and start telling people, and the story goes viral. Everybody hears about it. By the way, what do you call a bunch of pigs that jump off a cliff? Swine dive. There you go. You're welcome. And I'm sorry. Verse 15 says, They came to Jesus and saw the man who used to be demon-possessed. These are the people from the town. They saw the very man who had been filled with many demons sitting there, fully dressed and completely sane. Fully dressed. Some of your translations will say, and in his right mind. In his right mind. And they were filled with awe. Now that sounds nice, except the Greek word for awe here is phobos. It literally means completely terrified and offended. 
They are completely terrified and offended. In the next verse, what does it say? They pleaded with Jesus to leave the region. It's an interesting reaction of the, the townspeople here to this infamous, you know, crazy, possessed, naked guy that they, has always lived down, you know, at the cemetery here. He's been suddenly set free, and it's fascinating. Uh, and why they are more interested in, they're more scared of this than excited about it. Um, we could go into that, but for, for the sake of time, I want to zero in in, the, in our last few minutes here on what happens next between this Jesus and this man who is now experiencing divine shalom. He is completely in his right mind. He is at peace. Verse 18, while Jesus and his, his homies are climbing back into the boat, so they came for this one reason. They're climbing back in the boat. The one who had been demon-possessed pleaded with Jesus to let him come along as one of his disciples. The guy's like, Lord, you've healed me. I can think straight for the first time in years. You've healed me. I can, you've, you've literally changed my life. You've given me life again. You've given me my mind back again. And I, could, I, I understand this guy. He's like, Lord, there's, there's nothing here for me. I, I don't have any friends here. I don't have any family here. Let me just start over with you. I want to come with you. I want to walk with you. I want to hear you teach. I want to hear what all this is about. Where do I sign up? I want to be a member. Verse 19, but Jesus wouldn't allow it. Go home to your own people, Jesus says, and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. Go home and tell what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. See, these last two verses of this this story are as weird to me as the beginning of the story. Because here's a man who's been transformed. He has no fellow Christians around him. He doesn't have any community, you know, church around him. There's no support group. He was homeless before, literally, and he still feels just as out of place now in this community. He obviously wants to become a disciple, and Jesus doesn't let him. And I got to tell you, this goes against everything a normal preacher would do right? I mean, this is, the, this is the poster child of the guy you want with you going on your little camp meeting revival services with. You bring this guy on stage, right? He tells his testimony and everybody's like, wow, right? This is the guy Jesus ought to be bringing with him. Exhibit A. On the, and on the other hand, this guy is literally starting from square one. He knows nothing. Remember, this isn't even a Jewish region, so it's not like he grew up in the synagogue or he knows something about Yahweh. He's been healed, but he he literally knows nothing about Jesus. He doesn't know anything about the kingdom of God. He doesn't know anything about salvation. He doesn't know anything about Jewish practices. Or, I mean, it's like, I mean, sure, at least he needs like a six-month internship, right, to walk around with Jesus, kind of just camp out by the fire, listen for a while, learn the ropes, so we can gain a little bit of spiritual doctrine. But Jesus says, no. Jesus has spent his entire ministry, as we see up to here, finding men and women, walking up to people, inviting them to follow him. And some of them say yes, and some of them reject him. And here's a guy who says, I want to follow you. Jesus says, no, go home to your own people. The same people who've spent their lives shunning you, chaining you up, and now that you're healed, seem more upset about their pigs These are the people who know you at your worst, know all of your shame. You have nothing you can possibly hide from them. They know all of your pain. Go to those people and tell them what God has done for you. Jesus, 
I mean, you would think his disciples would be like, Jesus, can we at least give him our, this 10-volume set of theological books that we have here, you know, to kind of get him started here, something like that. He's got to know some basic Judeo-Christian dogma, right? Let me send you this podcast, uh, you know, the intricacies of the Trinity, or, you know, how, how, how justification works, how atone, what is atonement theory, you know, the disciples have got to be thinking, guy, Jesus, he doesn't even understand the book of Romans yet. That's a joke. Thank you. We got, we got to help him something. What about, how do we know what his position is on predestination versus free will? What, we don't know what he's going to go out there and teach. Is he a liberal or a conservative? We don't know. Does he know how to confess Psalm 91? <laughs> Jesus is like, go and tell. The people who know you, go and tell them this amazing thing that God has done for you. And then Jesus gets in his boat and leaves. This guy has no PowerPoints. He's got, he don't even have a flannel graph, right? <laughs> no website, no training. He's wearing somebody else's used clothes. He's still got the marks on his wrists from the chains he's been wearing for years. Just go start telling your story. And that is exactly what he does. In verse 20, it says, The man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. That's another name for this region that means the ten cities. He began to proclaim all that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Everyone was amazed. How many times do we tell ourselves that our story, what Jesus has done for us, doesn't matter to anybody else? How many times do we tell ourselves that it's the job of other people, folks who have maybe a gift for public speaking? Uh, it's the job of other people, people who have a gift for storytelling, the paid professional holy man, the people who have a background in religion, at least. It's the, it's the job, who have, the people who have an education in systematic theology. It's those people. It's their job to tell the world about Jesus and to spread the good news. How many times do we kind of tell ourselves, you know, when Jesus told us, he told all the disciples present to go into all the world and preach the good news, to make disciples, what he really meant to imply was that there is a, there's a second class of the church who doesn't really have to obey that command. Because all, we are, are just members. We're just, we're just followers. We're just users we're not actually meant to be a dynamic part of the body of Christ with a role to play in taking Jesus to a desperate, hopeless world. We tell ourselves something like that, even if we don't use those words, don't we? How often do we tell ourselves, I can't tell my neighbor, I can't tell my, my friend, my workmate, my family member about Jesus? Because look, I don't know all the, the deep, smart answers to those really tough questions, right? Let's be honest. Apparently, what I can gather from this story is that not only did this man come to faith in Jesus, but apparently Jesus has great faith in this man. He has, Jesus believes that the story of what has happened to this man is powerful enough. And Jesus trusts him completely to simply go, tell the story. Go tell your story. What if Jesus told us this morning, go tell everyone you know? What if he's saying, go tell everyone you know at school, family, the neighborhood, cubicle world, wherever it is you work, 
wherever you hang out, tell them what God has done for you and the mercy he has had on you. Three weeks ago, I encouraged us to start writing down things that we're thankful for. Because that leads, I mean, <laughs> kind of a very selfish reason. It leads to gratitude. It leads to uh, joy. It leads to happiness. It leads to your happiness. Writing down what you're thankful for, right? But maybe, maybe the next thing what we need to do is to start being mindful about what God has done for us and take the time to actually write those things down, to actually think about what are the things that God has done for me? What are the mercies that he has shown me so that I am equipped, so that when the opportunity presents itself, I'm ready to testify. Some of us, when we got the opportunity, we kind of be fumbling because we actually, what do I say that God did for me? We got to think about that, don't you? You kind of got to give it some thought. What are those things that you would immediately say, oh, well, for sure that. Oh, that, of course. Yes. What has God done for you? What are the mercies that he's had on you? Because the truth is, you and I pass by, we work alongside of, we live next door to hundreds of people every day. And we think they are eager for our theological opinions. That's what we kind of live like we assume. We think the world around us is really eager for our theological opinions. I mean, perusing social media, you, apparently that's what the church believes, is that the world really needs our opinions right? They're really not. The world's not that desperate for your opinions. They're not. What they're desperate for is hope. What they're desperate for is your story, right? Uh, is there some good news that there really is a God who knows them? There really is a God who loves them and hasn't written them off. That's what they're desperate for, to hear that. And who wants more than anything, more than even them having all their doctrinal ducks in a row at first. More than anything, he wants a relationship with them. That's number one. As God says, I just want a relationship with you. I just want a relationship with you. He wants people to fall in love with him the way he has fallen in love with them since time began. And then maybe, then what happens is together in community, we come together and then we come alongside each other and we wrestle with these questions together and we wrestle with this question and that question and, and the Lord leads us and we discover answers together. But what we need first and foremost is for someone to tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. What has the Lord done for you and how has he shown you mercy? In fact, I'll venture this, and I learned this the hard way in, in, my, in my younger adult years when I was always up for a good argument. If your idea of spreading the gospel is arguing, uh, to, you know, a set of doctrines to folks, making a bunch of airtight theological claims, your, your conversations with people are always about proving a case, basically. You're in proving mode all the time right? And, and what I believe you has happened is you, we might have mistaken God's call for us to be a witness with being his lawyer, right? There's a lot of figures in a courtroom, right? And, and some of you have that gift. There are folks out there who have that gift, to be sure. They're, we call them apologists. They have a gift and an anointing to show how God makes sense, you know, with reason and logic, and that's cool. That's great. 99% of us are not that. I'm not that, right? That is us. God hasn't called us to lawyer up. 
and argue with folks and prove them wrong and win the argument. Because often what happens is, even if you successfully win the argument, you have lost the relationship. Most often you have lost the relationship and God hasn't called you to be his divine lawyer. He's called you to be his witness on the stand. The witness on the stand. The witness's job is not to prove the case and to get a conviction. The witness's job is just to go, hey, this is all I saw. This is what I saw. Let me just tell you. I'll just tell you what I saw. God doesn't tell the ex-demoniac to go and explain how the Trinity works to anybody. (laughs) That would have been an interesting conversation. He doesn't arm him with arguments of creation versus evolution. Jesus finds this man. He sets him free from his bondage and his chains. He clothes him. He puts him in his right mind. And he says, now go tell what God has done for you, for you. Why? Because that is an argument you can't lose. Amen? That is an argument. It's a story that nobody can tell you didn't happen. You're just telling, hey, I'm just telling you what I saw. I'm just telling you what happened. Let me just tell you what God did. I don't know much else, but I can tell you what God did for me. I can show you the mercy he, did, he had for me. I can, I can maybe lead you into some of the ways that he has changed me. I mean, I used to be like this, and I'm learning to be like this. I'm not perfect, but I'm learning to be like this. It's a story that is unique to only you, right? It's not even the story the person next to you can tell, because God has done something unique for all of us. But Jesus, what if they ask questions that I can't answer? They will. I get it. I know that. I get, I get asked questions all the time and, and a lot of questions I can't answer. You'll probably be asked a question that you can't answer intelligently. How many times have you been asked a stumper about Jesus and you have no idea what the answer is? I, I, I still do and I love it. I praise the Lord that God is God and I am not. I'm like, oh, that is awesome. That is a great question, right? And he, God is so faithful to allow us to wrestle with new things and wrestle with mystery and and to continue growing and learning. And there's so much room for us. And I just got to say, by the way, if someone does uh, seem to have all of the answers, uh, I automatically am very suspicious of that person like they're selling me something. Um, That's just me. But maybe in this new world, not having all the answers is actually a gift, Maybe it's part of the gift, not having all the answers. Because then when someone asks you something that you don't have an answer to, what happens? We get to say, I don't know. Isn't life amazing? Isn't discovering the God that we didn't make up marvelous? Because if we had made him up, we'd have all these answers. He's bigger than our answers. Let's dig into this together. Hey, come into community with us. Let's, we'll trust God to lead us to every next right step. Because he's so faithful, isn't he? Another question people ask but my story isn't very exciting. I mean, this guy, he gets to talk about being naked and living in a cemetery. That's a story, right? Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. The God who created everything, you're telling me the God who sent his son to die on the cross, to be flogged and tortured and hung there, died and was buried, and three days later rose from the dead... And then God offers you eternal life that starts right now and you enter into that life with the one who created you and get to have a personal relationship with him. And that isn't exciting? Come on. Well, I've never been in jail. I wasn't a prostitute. I, 
I didn't tear the tags off my mattress. I'm a really good person, right? Well, listen. It's not about what you did to rescue yourself that makes your story compelling. It's what God did for you. The demoniac didn't do anything worth bragging about. He, he just happened to show up. He just was there, literally. He, was, he didn't even use his faith in this case. He was just there. This was all gift. He had an encounter with Jesus. And you know what? If you and I have a proper sense of humility, if we have a proper understanding of how lost we would be without Jesus, then it should be easy to tell what Jesus has done for us. It should be easy to tell and what he's still doing. It should be easy to point to what he has forgiven you of and what he's still, the ways that he is still forming you into the image of his son, right? If you can't really come up with any ways that, you know, meeting Jesus has saved you or made you any different, maybe Jesus still needs to work on you. <laughs> maybe he still needs to save you, right? Maybe all you can say is, I can't explain why God this, did this for me. One moment I was a naked, raving lunatic at the cemetery, and then he touched me and he put me in my right mind. And by the way, vastly more important, vastly more important than having all the answers to people's questions, more important than appearing perfect and worthy to tell people about Jesus and having it all together, more important that, than that, infinitely more, is being loving, is being loving. Hear me now, is being loving. If, if you're a jerk, if you're judgmental, it doesn't matter how airtight your answers are. Nobody wants what you got, right? No, no, no. But if you display that self-sacrificial love, the humility of somebody that Jesus has touched and transformed when you display the love of Jesus to folks, they're going to see with their own eyes the miracle that Jesus has done through you. That is the story that is compelling. That's the story worth telling. What Jesus has done for me. Jesus says, go into your circles. All the people you encounter, whoever, whoever you work with, you live with, tell the story of what God has done for you. He doesn't call you to prove anything. He apparently thinks your story is proof enough. One, one final note, postscript to this story. You know what's really cool about this unusual mission that uh, Jesus gave this man? It worked. It actually worked. This ex-demoniac went home and told everyone he saw that the one true God has invaded the world. The one true God has come as a human being and is on the move. The invasion of the empire of Satan has begun. He didn't have all the answers, but he told him, it's begun. Something has started. The healer, the deliverer, the Messiah has come, and it worked. We know because Jesus returns later. Uh, over in the same region, he comes, to Mark, uh, he comes here in Mark chapter 7, and the people come by the thousands. The same place. They come by the thousands. They have heard of his fame. They bring the deaf and the mute and the lame, and they bring them all to him for healing. He feeds 4,000 people, and they beg him to stay. These are the same people who begged him to leave. 
And now they're begging him to stay. What a revival has taken place between these two chapters, between these two visits of Jesus. Now, how would these people have ever heard the good news about, about Jesus if that man had gotten in the boat and left home? How would they have known? So you don't need to be a famous preacher. Isn't that good news? You don't got to be a seminary-trained theologian. You don't have to be a, a, a prophet with like thousands of followers online to change the lives of people around you. You don't have to be any of those things because it's not you that ultimately transforms other people. It's the good news that you're sharing because that's what gospel means. It just means good news. Gospel is good news. And so here, here today, here's a, another one degree course correction that you can begin making right now. You begin opening your mouth to tell others what Jesus has done for you and how he's shown you mercy. And, and for you, that might begin, like I said, it might begin with first sitting down today and starting to list out intentionally, being intentional about listing out these things. What has he done for me so that I can be ready with an answer? The Bible says be ready with an answer. Be ready with an answer. Not to prove and argue the case. It's be ready with your answer. Be ready with your testimony. It's your testimony. And then as you go through your week, you're going through your week and Jesus comes through for you in lots of little ways. He's always coming through for us, right? All week long. Don't just thank him and keep it to yourself. Tell people, get in, make that part of your habit. Just make that part of your new lifestyle. Jesus does something for you, you're going to tell people. You tell people, testify. No need to be God's holy lawyer, proving everybody else wrong. Just be his witness. Just be his witness. Take the stand whenever you get an opportunity and tell the story that God gave you alone to tell. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Hallelujah. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for the mercies that you have shown all of us in this room, those of us watching by live stream, Lord God, I thank you. There's so many of us, we, we have so much that we could tell story after story of how you have given us hope where there was none. You've delivered us from our chains, Lord God. You've set us free. You've given us peace. You've set our mind at peace where we were tormented. We are just, first of all, Lord, we are just overwhelmingly grateful for that. Let me just say thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you continue to do. We thank you, Lord God, that you are so much more than, than a list of, of doctrines on a page. You are the living God who transforms us from the inside out, who desires a relationship with us, Father. We're so grateful, Lord God, that you have given us a purpose and a role that you've called us to go and, and to tell others our story and to, and to tell that story many times over as often as we can. Thank you, Lord God. I thank you, Father, for those who are here today who they're already taking those stories to the world around them. They're, they're bravely showing off those scars on their wrists from the chains. And they're telling everybody, of how you have delivered them, Lord God. Thank you for those people, those courageous kingdom ambassadors telling us, telling other people how you, how you saved us, Lord God, how you, you're in the, the business of restoration, 
bringing all things back to how they're supposed to be. Thank you, Lord God. Lord, I thank you for those who are here this morning. They, maybe they haven't dared yet tell their story, but they're sitting here with a new fire inside them to go and tell. Thank you for that, Lord God. Thank you for your convicting Holy Spirit. Lord God, you convict, you, you conflict the, the afflicted, you comfort the afflicted and, and, and afflict the comfortable. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that, Lord. Hallelujah. And God, we thank you for giving hope to those this morning who feel alone, who feel homeless, who feel like they're the only one. Give us the endurance, Lord God, to stay faithful. Faithful to our family. To be your disciple in the midst of of this lost and backward world, Lord God. Because it is a world that you love. Help us to love others, Lord God, the way you love them. We pray all of this, Lord. In the strong resurrected name of Jesus, everybody said, amen, amen, hallelujah. Listen, if you're here today and you need prayer for anything, if there's something going on in your life, maybe it's just something you've had a burden, something this is just the world has been weighing on you, right? You're like, I'm done. I need some freedom. I need some freedom, whatever it is. Let us know. Please let us know. You can, you can give us your prayer, send us your prayer request. You can write it down. You can put it in the offering buckets or you can send it to us online. That goes to us instantly. You have a whole, whole prayer chain team of people, prayer warriors praying for you then. You can do it on, your web, on the website. You can do it on your phone. And if you want somebody to pray with you right now, face to face, Pastor Albert's gonna be up here at the front and he would love to stand with you in faith and agree for whatever it is that you're agreeing, that you're believing for. He will pray with you about that. If you're giving your tithes and your offerings today, you can give in the offering buckets there. You can do it online. You can do it with the phone. Again, all the different ways you can give. Thank you for being so faithful and for honoring the Lord with your giving, your tithes and your offerings. As Pastor was telling us, you're, you're doing more than just taking care of the people around here. We're, we're, taking, we're reaching out. We're reaching out to the whole planet here. We're making a difference. You're making a difference as well as the people right here in this church because being family matters, right? And so we, all, we take that very seriously too. The people right here at Generations Church, there's one of us, if there's one of us who needs help, we're gonna be right there and helping. That's, that's what being family is all about too. So thank you for being a part of that. Amen, amen. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I wanna bless you one more time. I love, uh, I've been enjoying blessing you out of Romans 15, 13 here as, as a benediction. May the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. That's faith. As you trust in him so that you overflow to other people with that hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace. Go tell your story this week. Bye-bye.